<laughs> For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, and out of that power, out of that giving was power. He does not, he doesn't need our resources and our money because it's in lack. He needs our resources and our heart because it's after our heart. He's after our heart. He's after your heart. He's after my heart. And if he can get our heart, then we will cheerfully do anything that he tells us to do out of obedience, and that will unlock the power of God in our lives and in this world. There's been a, such a mindset, Father, there's been such a mindset against giving, against money, because it's like that's the only thing that the church desires, or that's the only thing that people desire, because that unlocks your heart. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. It's not about your money, it's about your heart. And if he can get your money, he can get your heart. I'm talking about the enemy. If the enemy can keep you from giving... If the enemy can keep, and I'm not talking about just church, I'm talking about to anybody. If he can keep you stingy, if he can keep you in fear, he's got you because he's got your heart. That's right. Now, baby, see, out of the mouth of babes, if he can get your money, he can get your heart. God's after your heart. He's not after your wallet. But the Bible says that where a man's treasure is, is that truth? See, I didn't said it after the offering. So you can't say I'm saying it to get their offering. I'm saying it afterwards. I'm saying it because it's coming up out of me. If he can get your heart, he's got you. And the best way to find out where your heart is is look where your money's going. It's got nothing to do with really the church. It's got nothing to do with God. That is a principle. Where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you don't like where your heart is, then change it. Our heart is for you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that this church has always, our people, we have always been a giving people. But Lord, I ask you to even stretch us in that, to take us to a whole nother level. Because your kingdom must be and will be established on this earth before Jesus comes back. And so, Lord, we just declare that we are debt-free. Why are we debt-free? So that we may have to give into every good work. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray that a revolution would take place in our minds, that we would begin to see giving outside the four walls of the church that we would begin to see that giving is to people, giving maybe even to businesses, that, Father, your kingdom is not just locked down in these walls, but it is your kingdom throughout the earth. And that everything that we do and everything that we are should be about kingdom business and can take on kingdom significance. 
the teachers, when you teach, you should teach with a kingdom mentality. You welders, when you weld, you should weld with a kingdom mentality. Law enforcement, every time you step out, you should step out with a kingdom mentality. Musicians, you should, you should uh, musish, <laughs> you should sing, you should play with a kingdom mentality. If you're a builder, you should build with a kingdom mentality. If you're retired, you should be retired with a kingdom mentality. That everything we do, say that with me, everything I do takes on kingdom significance. See, this is important what we do on Sundays. But you know what is just as important is what you do tomorrow morning. Come on, now don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is just as valuable as Sunday. And see, the deception, the lie of the enemy is to come in and to lie to us and say, well, no, really only Sunday matters. And then we wake up and we don't come or we, we come and we kind of participate in Sundays because we don't understand the value of coming together as a body. But we don't understand the value of getting what we get on Sundays so that we can go out on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. This is about kingdom mentality. This is about kingdom business. It is valuable. What you do in your job is valuable. Listen to me. I've done this full time now for six years. Being in full time, this is my vocation. This is what I do. Five-fold ministry this is what I do. I've been in ministry for a lot longer than that, but I had to do, I did like most people do, bivocational. And I can tell you that I miss it. I'm called to do this, and I do it. And I'm asking the Lord to teach me and to train me and make me better at, at, at doing what He has gifted and called me to do. But I'm telling you, you don't understand. I'm telling you that the real ministry of the church is out there. This is pep rally. This is the gym. This is where we come to lift weights. This is where we come to work. One day soon... Y'all going to come into church on Sunday and ain't going to be no chairs. It's just going to be gym equipment. Why? Because that's the mentality that we should have. This is where we come together and we get charged up so that we can go out and minister to the waitress that comes to our tables on Sundays. Or minister to the neighbor that is hurting that you don't even, didn't even know about. You can minister to him. I heard a testimony this week about a, a friend of one of our members that his wife suddenly passed away. And as a result, some men from the Connect group on Wednesday night loaded up and went to the man's house and ministered to the man that was a so-called atheist. I wonder what he's thinking now. That strangers came and ministered to him and loved him. That's ministry happens here. Ministry happened this morning. We stepped into a place and we worshiped God and we went to a higher level. But that is not the end. That is just the beginning. 
That's just what God, this is the icing on the cake. This is, this is the place where we come and, and we, we feast together and we love one another and we build one another up so that we can charge each other and pep rally each other up to go out there and win the game for Jesus, which is the kingdom business. What you do matters. In a lot of respects, I did a lot more. Uh, how can I say this? I did a lot more ministering when I was working in a, a secular job than I did even in what I do now because my job, my, my job has changed. My responsibility, my gifting has changed. My responsibility is to you as a pastor. As a believer, I have a ministry to people. We're all believers. We all have that ministry. But as my focus, as my anointing, as my gifting is to you, is to encourage you, to build you, so that you, like me, back then, can go and do the ministry at your desk, at your office, at the grocery store. At the Why? Because people aren't, but some people are never going to step through those doors until you minister to them outside of these doors. Father, help us this morning to see some things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. 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 See, part of redeeming the time is understanding the times that we live in. Uh, in the Old Testament, when they were gathering, uh, when, the, when the 12 tribes were getting together to get ready uh, to go to, uh, to do some things, it says that the sons of Issachar were not ignorant. They were aware of the times that they lived in. They were wise men because they were aware of the times that they live in. Are you aware of the times that you live in? Or are you, like all of us, susceptible to the deception of the enemy that we got plenty of time? We don't. In one sense, we do because time is to be dictated by us because we are responsible for redeeming the time. But that never happens until you and I step into that authority and begin to redeem the time. As long as we're not redeeming the time, we're losing time. But the minute we step out of obedience and begin to redeem it is the minute that we now become the control. We now become in authority of where we're going. That's understanding the times that we live in. And so I'm going to do my best to try to wind this series up today. But if not, we'll pick back up next week. But I want to talk to you this morning about something that I believe is such a pivotal key it's really one of the, what I, would, what I would say would be this. What we're going to talk about this morning is really one of the principal keys of being a believer. And it's called obedience. And really, if I put a title on it, it would be, you know, this, the third part of redeeming the time would be, be quick to obey. I did the children's church Wednesday night, and it went good, by the way, so thank you all for praying for me, because I think we prayed last week, Lord, help the pastor with the children. We had a great time, and uh, 
And so one of the things I, I was trying to, to uh, promote to them would be, was I was trying to promote in them that we build up, we don't tear down, and, and how that believers as Christians should be builders. This is not my message, but I'm just giving you a little bit of background. So we were all standing out there on the basketball court, and I had them all take a knee, and, uh, and I was talking with them. You know, kids, you can't hold their attention for 20 minutes. You can barely, I can barely hold y'all's attention for 30 minutes, much less, you know. But theirs, you can only hold for about five, maybe 10 minutes. And so I was trying to encourage them. And so I asked my oldest daughter, I said, Hannah, tell them what our, what's the number one rule in our house. And she goes, first time obedience. And that made my heart happy, which really I wasn't trying to get her to say that. I was trying to get her to say we build up, we don't tear down. But because what we don't understand is that, listen to me, obedience is the key. But how many of you know that slow obedience, you don't get partial credit. You know when you take the test, you know, in school, and if you showed your work, you know, you had to show your work sometimes, but if you didn't show your work, you didn't get full credit, which was always stupid to me. Why well, I got to show you how I came up with the answer. I came up with the answer. Why do I have to show you how I have to come up with the answer? But that always frustrated me. But anyway, how many of you know slow obedience is disobedience? You don't get partial credit for slow obedience. Why is obedience such an important thing? Well, because I believe that we have, we've been lied to. We have this mentality that if the Lord is moving something on our heart, or we have read a scripture, and the Lord has spoke to us. Now listen, you're going to get uncomfortable in this message. I'm just going to go ahead and prepare you. Because I got uncomfortable preparing it. So if I was uncomfortable, I'm going to expect that you're going to be uncomfortable. But we have this mentality that when we hear a word from the Lord, or we see something in the word of God, we are now accountable for that word. And we have this mentality that we say, well, you know, I know I need to do that, but I, I just don't want to right now. And so the Lord understands. He understands. He's a gracious God. And He is. He is a gracious God. But let me warn you about that mentality. That mentality is very dangerous. Now, Right now, some of you have your, your uh, old covenant glasses on right now and your, your old covenant hearing aid, and you're listening to what I'm saying based on an old covenant. Meaning all you hear is you just got to obey because that's the right thing to do. You just got to obey because that's what God said. You got to do what God said do or he's going to smite you with his rod. You're listening to this and you're hearing this through that filter. Go on and take that bell tone out of your ear and put the New Testament in and listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to show you why obedience is valuable. And it's not for the reason that you think. Why does God want our obedience? Is it so He can say, look, they obeyed me? Is it because it's a law and if we break the law, we're going to die? Why is obedience such an important thing? Because it is the thing. Really. But before we get there, let me share with you what disobedience, what is the nature of disobedience, and what does it do? Or what is it, 
uh, yeah, what is the nature of disobedience and what, di- what happens when we're disobedient, okay? And I know all you're thinking, well, you, you just, you're, you're in sin. You're going to fall if you're in disobedience. Just go with me. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me tell you why disobedience, what the nature of disobedience is. The nature of disobedience comes from deception. And the nature of deception is believing a lie instead of believing the truth. We think sometimes that deception is an excuse. And I'm, I'm going to try to piece this together the best way that I can. Deception is thinking on things that you shouldn't think on. Everybody say, deception is thinking on thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking on. It's thinking on thoughts that aren't true. How is a person deceived in the New Testament? I'm going to show you. Go to James real quick. Go to James. Hallelujah. James. All right, you ready? Verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is trying to get you to think on something that isn't reality. It's trying to get you to exchange, listen to me, it's trying to get you to exchange the God for the good. I'm going to go to Genesis in a minute. I'm going to show you something. But temptation is taking what is godly and deception is saying, yeah, this is godly, but this is good. And it's to get you to exchange the God for the good. That's temptation. Um, Temptation for young people. Well, I say young people. For uh, older people. Anybody that's past the age of maturity. Let's just say it that way. Um, Or uh, puberty. Anybody that's past the age of puberty. The deception is... It's all right to go on and have that intimacy with somebody outside of marriage. See, that is not bad. That is a good thing that God has created as long as it's in the confines of marriage. So he's trying to get you to change and take what is godly and and, and get you to exchange it for what you think, what he's deceiving you to be good. See, just because it's good, that doesn't mean it's God. Say that with me. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. We need to say that again. Just because it's good doesn't mean that it's God. Why? Because the nature of deception is getting us to think on things that are not true. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and what? Enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And to sin when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The Bible, when I was looking this up, I saw so many places in the New Testament, and it was only in the New Testament. How many times did the Apostle Paul go, do not be deceived? Be not ye deceived. Jesus said, don't be deceived. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. That tells me that deception 
on, a, on, a, on the fundamental level, level is really a result of me allowing myself, especially in the New Testament, to be deceived. The Bible says that the enemy has blinded the eyes of them that have not seen. But Romans tells us that everyone can look and see the beauty that has been created and they are without excuse to say that this happened because of an explosion. And there's a balance. There's a balance to that. But I'm talking to you, okay? You're the church. So this morning, I'm not preaching an evangelistic message. I'm not trying to reach the lost. I'm trying to equip us, to equip you. And I'm trying to get you to see that the nature of disobedience, really the nature of disobedience is really pride. Thinking your way is better. And deception comes in and goes, that's right. Your way is better. Because we're lured away by flesh. People say all the time, I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe they sinned. I can't believe they did that. If there was no enticement, if there was no allurement, if there was no uh, gratification in it, then there would be no temptation for it. Uh, that new car smell is tempting. I always seem to use a car. Let's use something else. Uh, you know, that, that, that allurement of being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it is alluring. You know, the, the, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. That's in the Old Testament. But he says that the heart of a man has been changed when he's born again. But yet, if you're not careful, we will allow external influences to change the nature of, not change the nature of our heart, but we will self, the Bible says that we self-deceive ourselves. How? When we allow the allurement and the enticement of deception to be in our lives. Disobedience is not about doing what is right and, not, and doing what is wrong. Disobedience is about your heart. Now, in Genesis, when the enemy came to Eve, this is the keenest way that he did this. Let me show you something. He said to Eve, you will be like, you will be as gods. He didn't say you shall be like demons. He's taking what God had created and exchanging it for the lie. But this lie is good, or so you think. Or so we think. No, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He knows that when you eat of it, you will be just like him. We were already like him. Well, why did, why did Eve fall? Well, really, because Adam wasn't really doing what he was supposed to be doing. The Bible says in, in uh, I think it's in Hebrews uh, no, through Romans, said by one man's obedience, we'll get to that in a minute, by one man's obedience, life came. But through one man's, one man's, one man's. See, it was attributed to him. So why, why was this? Because, because, listen, he was deceived. She was deceived into trusting something that was a lie, that was not truth, and she trusted that, thereby deceiving herself and she stepped into a realm now and gave her heart away to another. Satan did not tell Eve 
this when he added, knowing good and evil. His true objection in deceiving Eve was to get her, listen, to disobey God. Why? Why was he trying to get him, get her to disobey? Because when you disobey, you step away from what God has really called you to do. You step away from your nature. It is in our nature to be obedient to God. But when we disobey, we're allured, we're tempted, we're driven by flesh, fleshly, passionate desires, and we, we give away what is godly so that we can attain what we think is goodly. You know, I've been on both sides, and I often wonder why people don't want to give their life to the subjection of the Lord. Because he's a good daddy. He is a good God. Why? Because they've been deceived. Self-deceived, yes, but they've been deceived nonetheless. Deception is deception. And the only thing to break deception is truth. People will not flock. People will not come. In revivals, why are revivals so powerful? The revivals of old, why are they so powerful? Because it is a demonstration of the goodness of God that leads all these people to want to say, you know what, I'm changing the way I think. I'm repenting and I'm saying, you're the Lord of my life. Let's go where you want me to go. That's the nature of it. But disobedience is about your heart. Everybody say, disobedience is about my heart. It's not about following a rule. It's about following the heart. See, because if you disobey, if you're disobedient to what God said, then your heart will change. The word deception means to seduce people into rebellion. It's to seduce people from the truth. It's to mislead. Because of our because of what happened to our flesh in the garden, now we give way to our flesh, to the propensities, to the desires, to the gratifications. I just want to. And so in that I just want to, we now are deceived into thinking that I can do what I want to do and it takes the place of our heart. You see what I'm saying? He's after your heart. He being the enemy. Because if he can get your heart, he's got you. Disobedience removes your call and your anointing or it takes you away from the promised land. I believe the greatest lie, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, go there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I wanted to show you this. I saw this and I've never seen it like this before. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's after your heart. And when I say he, I mean the enemy and the Lord. He's after your heart. But the greatest device, the greatest lie from the enemy is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we know, verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What is his device? Back up. Verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is joy of you all. 
For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. He's talking about a man in the church that he created a very egregious sin. And he's writing to them in 2 Corinthians and says to them, it's time to forgive the brother. So I always thought the device of the enemy is unforgiveness. One of the devices is unforgiveness. I'm going to show you something else. Verse 7. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You remember a few months ago, maybe it was back before the end of last year, I talked about forgiveness. And I said forgiveness is not just for you, but for the other person. That by you forgiving them, you unlock the Satan's power over them. That's what this is talking about. So that they don't, you forgive them so that they don't fall into too much sorrow. And I've always thought that this was about forgiveness. That one of the main devices of the enemy was unforgiveness. And it is. But I don't want to just hit the surface. I want to go to the root. I want to get the root of this problem. Therefore, verse 8, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put to the test whether you are what? So is he talking about forgiveness? Or is he talking about forgiveness? Or is he talking about obedience? For to this end I also wrote that I might put to you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything I also forgive. For indeed I have forgiven anything I have forgiven. The one who forsakes in your Christ, presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. What's one of his biggest devices? Disobedience. Listen to me guys. Disobedience is nothing to play around with. It's not. It's not anything to play around with. In 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel the prophet came to Saul and said, Why did you disobey the Lord? And he said, I didn't disobey the Lord. I did everything he told me to do. I killed everybody, killed everything. And we took the gold and the silver and the fatted calves and, the, and, and we gave them to the Lord. And Samuel goes, You idiot. You foolish man. Don't you know that that disobedience is as witchcraft? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. That's why he said, you don't give grudgingly. The man at church then said, don't give. That's right. I've said that before. I don't, God doesn't want it if you're going to give it grudgingly. Because in your mind, in my mind, we think, well, this is my sacrifice. What's that song? There's a song that I've been listening to, and I've been asking the Lord about it. Um, uh, you provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. Fill me up, Lord. 
fill me. You provide the fire, Lord. I'll provide the sacrifice. What was it about Abraham's sacrifice that said, of all the people in the Old Testament, he said it was accredited to him as righteous. The blood of Jesus ain't been shed yet. And he just called this Old Testament man righteous. Why? Because he sacrificed his son? No. Because he was obedient. He told Saul, he said, you, you've missed the point. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And as a result of your disobedience, now you ain't going to be king no more. Well, that's so judgmental. No. Listen to me. What, what is he after? What is God after? Is he after your obedience or is he after your heart? What happens when you disobey? You give your heart away. And then things happen in our life and we want to blame God. Romans 10 verse 10 says this. And then I'm going to move on to the next point. Romans 10.10 says this. Romans 10.9 But if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'd be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart... One believes. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He's after your heart. Many will say in that last day, Lord, Lord. But he's going to say, I don't know you. Why? Because he ain't after your mouth. He's after your heart. He's not after your money. We ain't after your money. <laughs> We're after you. I'm after your heart. You know, I don't even really care whether or not you tithe or give because that is a symptom of a greater problem. It's your heart. I'm after your heart. I want you to do this for me. I want you to examine your heart for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, I've been asking this question for years, but here the past year it just keeps coming out of me, keeps coming out of me, keeps coming out of me. I'm going to ask you this question. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? What do you know that nobody else knows? What do you know? Because you know. <laughs> Somebody said, I don't know. Oh, you know. Because when you lay awake at night, it's right there. When you get up in the morning, it's right there. What's on your heart? What's the Lord putting on your heart? That's what I'm after. That's what the Lord's after. It's kind of like, a, you know, well, you need to go tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Go on, Langston, now. Give her the money back. Fine. Mm -mm. No. I ain't after that. I'm after your heart. He's after your heart. See, disobedience, listen to me, disobedience is not right and wrong. Disobedience is about heart. Disobedience is about you giving your heart away to a lie. The Bible says to guard your heart, Proverbs says, with all diligence, for out of it 
overflow the issues of life. That's why you guard your heart. That's why you don't give your heart away to just anybody. You give your heart away to the Lord. You give your heart away to your mate, to your husband, to your wife. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. Um, we had our monthly CAM meeting, and I, I was eating with a friend of mine, and we were talking about a, a, a pastor from years ago that has just fallen, I mean, just completely just left the ministry. I mean, he's been left the ministry for, man, 10-plus years maybe, 8-plus years. And we were talking about another scenario and this other scenario, and he said he ran up on a young man who is now as old as, you know, he's our age, he's my age, he's in his late 30s. And he said that when he started talking to him, he said, I can tell that he ain't been healed of some stuff that took place 20 years. Everybody say 20. 20 years ago. Why? Because this young man's heart was damaged by his father. You don't heal. You don't, I'm sorry, but you just don't heal from that overnight. It takes time. It's a process. He's after your heart. He wants to, I don't know, somebody in here maybe have a hurt heart. I would imagine all of you to some degree have a hurt heart in some area. God is the healer. I think you sang that. You, didn't you sing that this morning? Some variation when we was in the spirit heals the broken heart. He heals your broken heart. Why? Because that's where the issues of life are coming out of. God's after your heart. And obedience is where your heart is. Do you see now how you can look at obedience and see it differently? See, I've always thought that if I didn't obey, it's because I was doing the wrong thing. I'm just sinful, just pride, and and that's tr- all that's true. But the deeper root is that I really don't trust Him. The deeper truth is that I'm allowing the lie to take advantage. I'm allowing myself to be enticed by the lie, and I'm not obeying what He said. Why should we obey God? Because it's the right thing to do. Why should we obey God? Because He loves us. I tell my kids, I tell them all the time, I said, you think Daddy is trying to get you to obey so I can stand up in church or stand up in front of people or stand up at a family reunion that we were at yesterday and say, look, my kids obey me. Y'all don't remember that from Saturday Night Live? Three snaps in the Z formation, you know what I mean? So I can say that? Look at me. Look how my kids are in subjection to me. No, why do I make them obey? I said, because, honey, one day we'll be in a parking lot, and when I say stop and you don't stop, there's all kind of cars running around, and you could run out in front of one of them cars, and you could die. And Lainey, she gets up. She's like, Daddy, don't say that. I'm saying, baby, I want you to obey because when I say stop, I want you to stop. But why? Why do you want me to stop, Daddy? I said, because when you're 40 years old and the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to obey Him right then. So I'm teaching them that now. So that when I said, baby, because when you're 35 and this man comes along, or maybe you're 45 and this man comes along, or maybe not, maybe you're called to live like the apostle and just help Daddy in the ministry. Because I want you to be obedient. And when that man comes along, I want you to be obedient to the Lord. 
Because no one knows the heart of a man except the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can tell you yes or no. And I want you to be obedient in the everything because that's where the power is. That's where the heart is. Last but not least, what does disobedience come to? What does it cause? It causes your heart to become hard. Proverbs 29.1, He who hardens his neck and refuses instruction after being often reproved or corrected will suddenly be broken beyond repair. Listen to me, guys. There is a point of disobedience that causes you to be broken beyond repair. In the sense, now listen to me, in the sense of there are things that you can do in disobedience that God cannot undo. Once that baby's here, that baby's here. Once you've gotten divorced and remarried, that's over. That's a, different, that's a different sermon for a different day. That's called grace. I'm saying before that, let's deal with this, disobedience. Don't be disobedient. Obey what the Spirit of the Lord is telling you because there comes a point where you run, where His love is everlasting. But it says that His graciousness, He is long-suffering. He is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. But there comes a point where you and I continually be in disobedience. He can't do anything about that. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because the children of Israel did it. He took them through the Egypt and he said, look right there. There it is. I've been promising it to you and your forefathers for years. There's your promised land. Go get it. Well, I don't know. Let's send 12 spies over there just to check it out. Make sure. So they run over there. They come back. Well, what y'all think? Man, we got this. This is easy. We can do this. We got this. That's what two of them said. The other ten said, Whoa. Ooh, that's too much debt. I'm too old. Whatever the excuse is in your life. I can't do that. Are you allowing your heart to be hardened because you're disobeying what the Lord's telling you to do? Because that's what He's after is your heart. Disobedience causes a hard heart. What did the children of Israel say? God himself had done delivered them. They walked out of Egypt loaded financially. They weren't sick. They weren't broke. So they were healthy, wealthy, and whole, going to their new house to build it. And they get to the new house. Oh, there's people there. And they big people. They giants. We can't do nothing about that. And I often wonder, I go, well, what if David had thought that? They get to this place and they see this and then, man, it's great. I mean, they had to carry, a, 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 it took two grown men to carry a cluster of grapes. Land filled with milk and honey. No, we can't do it because there's giants in the land. And so the Lord part of the Red Sea and fed you with man. I mean, just miracle after miracle. And because of fear, now listen to me, because of fear, we can't, Pastor, they were just afraid. What is fear? It's deception. It's putting your confidence in something that's a lie. Well, you can't do that. Who said they couldn't do that? 
Who wrote the rule book and said, everybody knows that you can defeat people except for giants. Everybody knows in the land of Israel and all over the place, you can't defeat giants. That's why they're over there because they're giants. Who said that you couldn't defeat giants? That never came out of God's mouth. A lot of times I'll be talking to people and they'll say something and I'll say, who told you that? Somebody said to me one time, said, I can never, I can't ever buy a car without a payment. Who told you that? And you see the wheels, you know, the wheels are turning, and you see the wheels go, and they go, and you start getting them to think. Who told you that you couldn't be debt free? Who told you that you had to be single the rest of your life? Who told you that just because you're 25, 30 years old, 35 years old, that there's a, who told you that you couldn't have kids? Who told you that? Because I don't see that in the Bible. What is God telling you? What has he told you? What have you allowed your heart to be hardened to? That's the question I want to ask you. What has God told you? Have you stiffened your neck? Are you refusing to be obedient? Now, let me tell you what obedience brings. Obedience, there's there's a principle of obedience, the same that we did with disobedience, and then I'm going to give you two things that obedience does, and then we're going to close. You ready? What is obedience? I want you to understand that obedience is governing your life by the truth. Obedience is saying yes to what God has said for you to do. If the nature of deception is believing the lie, the nature of truth, the nature of obedience is accepting the truth as reality and lining your life up with that truth. But see, obedience is progressive. If there's nothing else I want you to learn this morning about obedience, I want you to understand this. Obedience is progressive. If God cannot get you to obey the little things, he can, you'll never be obedient in the big things. If, if you're in a job and your boss in training for this job is telling you to do something little and you don't do that little thing and you keep doing that little thing over and over again and you keep disobeying in the little things, guess what? You, chances are you ain't going to get in that job. Because if you won't obey God, if you won't obey that boss in the little things, then you won't be able to obey him in the big things. Why are you being disobedient? It's my question to you. I asked you earlier, what does God put on your heart? Then my question is, why are you not doing it? Because it's in your heart. Well, I'm scared. I'm fearful. I like this one. I don't want to. But let me ask you this. Do you trust Him? See, because that's really the issue. Obedience comes to trust. If you can't obey God in the small things, then when he tells you to snatch that man up out of the wheelchair, you won't do it. Why? Because you were in the grocery store and you grabbed them pack of Pringles and you walked halfway over to the meat section and you decided, you know what? I don't need them Pringles. And so you set them beside the charcoal. Listen, and the Holy Spirit says to you, don't do that. Why don't you just take that Pringles on back? And guess what you do? 
Don't look at me like that all sanctified like you ain't done that. Because I did it. And he says to you, why don't you go put that thing back? And you don't do it. What did you just do? You just made your heart a little harder. So now, when that hood rat comes along and says, how you doing, baby? And the Holy Spirit goes, run. Because you didn't obey with the Pringles, you ain't going to obey with the hood rat. Hood rat. Someone who ain't got no business around your daughters. That's who that is. Or your sons. They got another word for that, but I ain't saying that one. Um, at the University of Texas 2014 commencement speech, uh, a Naval Admiral William H. McRaven, um, from the, he's the ninth commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command, spoke, and in 20 minutes he gave an analogy of the things that he learned in Navy SEAL training and how they apply, the, apply to life. And I encourage you to go and look up online his commencement speech. It's powerful. Um, power, phenomenal. Powerful. And he said that there were ten things that he learned, ten principles that he learned out of Navy SEAL training. And he said this. He said, the first thing I learned in Navy, Navy SEAL training was, he said, as um, at, at the um, training facility, he said, uh, the first day, the first time we were there, he said the first thing we had to do every morning was make our bed. He said, and all the, all the instructors were at that time uh, Vietnam veterans. And he said that if you did not make your bed, boy, you was in trouble. They had to make their bed every morning to perfection. Every morning they had to make it to perfection. And he said, he said at first... We thought it was very mundane because how could something so little make any significance in our life? And he said, but after years of service and seeing, he said, I can tell you that that very small task has proven to me over and over again its value and its worth. He said that the corners had to be tight and tucked in, that the pillow had to be centered in the headboard, and the blanket had to be covered over the foot to perfection. And if it wasn't perfect, you had to do it over again. And you could not. You would get in trouble. Every morning, everybody say every morning. Every morning they had to make their bed. And everybody in the room is going, why does pastor want me to make my bed? I'm not trying to get you to make your bed. I'm, I'm proving a point. This man, after years of being a Navy SEAL, he said we were training to be warriors. The elite of the elite. And they want me to make my bed. He said, so if you want to change the world, get up every morning and make your bed. Why? He said, number one, he said, the, he said, that, he said that it will encourage you. It gives you a small, this is the principle, that making your bed gives you, it's the first task of the day. And by completing the first task of the day, it gives you a sense of accomplishment that, you've that you have already accomplished the first thing on your task. And he said it will lead to another and another and another. And by the end of the day, you will have accomplished all these tasks as a result of one task, making your bed. And he said, and if by chance you come home from a bad day, at least you will have a bed that's made by you. And it will encourage you that tomorrow will be a better day. He said, so if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Why? This is what he said. 
Navy SEALs, 9th Commander, Special Operations Unit, wants you to make your bed. Why? He said, because it will reinforce the fact that little things matter. If you don't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. If you don't obey in the little things, you won't ever obey in the big things. If God can't trust you to be obedient, to share with that person, listen to me, any of you who may be called to the ministry, if God can't trust you to share the gospel or to train somebody that don't look like they need to be trained, if God can't if God can't entrust you to disciple this person that nobody knows, he will never be able to trust you to stand before thousands and preach the gospel. Well, I want to own my own business. If he cannot trust you to be obedient to your master, to your boss, then you'll never be trustworthy enough to be your own boss. You see how disobedience works and how obedience works? What's it about? It's about your heart. A life of obedience will allow you to follow, to flow in the supernatural as naturally as a bird flies in the air. You won't struggle and strain to part the sea. You'll just trust the Lord and stretch out your rod. The power of parting the Red Sea was not in his rod. It was in his obedience. Stretch out your rod. Stretch what? Come on, Lord, what's that going to do? Really, I only make $100. I only make $200. What's $20 going to do? Come on, Lord. I mean, it's all the way across the grocery store. Do I really got to go put the Pringles back? What difference does it make? Because he's after your heart. He's testing us. He's proving us. If he can trust you to stand up here and give a word like you did that day, nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, but you did it, and he could trust you to stand before thousands and prophesy. If he can trust you to build those people that come into your work that you minister to physically, then he can trust you to minister to thousands. If he can trust you to take those people that maybe people don't want, but you want them, then he can trust you over thousands. If he can trust you to be diligent at your job when nobody else is being diligent at your job, nobody else wants to obey the boss, because after all, the boss is a hard taskmaster. Nobody likes the boss. He's always berating us. He's always talking down to us. But if you'll be obedient, he can trust you to be a boss one day that won't do that. Slaves, be subject to your masters. Why? Because he's after your heart. Because out of your heart flow the issues of life. The little things matter. What little things is he telling you that you ain't doing? I'm asking you. I asked you what was in your heart earlier. Now I'm going to ask you, what's the, what's the little thing that he's telling you to do that you won't do? The power to part the Red Sea was not in his rod. It was in his obedience. 
He's trying to part the sea in your life and in my life. But if we won't obey, the power never comes. What if I told you that the Pringle was your deliverance? The power is in the Pringles. They ought to be, that ought to be the title of the message. The power is in the Pringles. Why? Because if he knows that he can trust you in something so insignificant because you're so busy and you ain't got time, that's what they pay them people at Publix for. No, they don't. That's not what they pay them. They don't pay them to clean up after you. They pay, they pay them to clean up for you. There's a difference. The power is in the little things. If he knows that you will stop and do what you're supposed to do, not because you're supposed to do it, but because he asked you to do it, then he knows that he can trust you in the big things. If he tells you, if he tells you don't buy that and you want that, but you're willing to be obedient because you trust that he loves you and you trust that he cares for you and you trust that he desires for nothing more than to you to be blessed beyond your imagination and you trust that and so you subdue and beat your flesh for that moment and you deny yourself the gratification of that fleshly desire. If he knows that he can trust you to do that, then guess what? He knows he can trust you with a lot because he knows that riches are not ruling over you. Money is the root of all evil. No, your heart. He's after your heart. If you put your heart and your trust in Him, then He can trust you with those riches. What's He been telling you? What's He telling you that, you ain't, that you're not obeying? And last but not least, obedience brings freedom. The power is in the obedience. But the freedom is also in the obedience. Romans 5.19, and we're going to close with this. Romans 5.19 Disobedience causes your heart to be hardened. Causes you to miss out on the supernatural that God has for your life. But obedience causes your heart to be tender. And so that he can trust you. And so when he says, let go free my people. And the man who wandered and stuttered for years finally obeyed the call of God. And God instilled into him such a power and an authority that he delivered them. Why? Because he was obedient. If he knows you'll trust him, if he knows you'll obey him in the little things, if he knows that you will do that, then guess what? That's where the power is. But last but not least, disobedience causes you to be in bondage. Because a life of disobedience is a life away from what God has for you. Not because he's punishing you, you're punishing yourself. I'm going to tell you something before I read that last one. I'm going to tell you something right now. Your sin is not, has not, and will never be the issue. It's your heart. He took it. We are not separated from God any longer because of sin. We are separated because of disobedience. We disobey. We re what happens when you reject the truth of God's word? You separate yourself. The Bible says that nothing 
can separate us from the love of God. The people that have gone to hell before us, He loves them. But you never receive the freedom. Listen to me. You'll never receive the freedom you're looking for until you be obedient to what He's saying. Romans 5, 19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were, were, were. Past tense, present tense, or future tense. Many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made, will be made righteous. You're working out your salvation. Right? The Bible says that you and I have been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. It's done. The manifestation of your righteousness, the manifestation of our salvation, has not yet come in its, in its fullness. In the sense that when the fullness of time comes, the righteousness, the rightness, the salvation, the reality, the exposure of that salvation will be made manifest on its entire level to the world. But you and I have access to that now. By faith, in faith, through faith, by Jesus. Your freedom that you're looking for is now. The obedience that you walk in brings freedom. Listen to me. Freedom. The word obedience means to listen, hearken, to do. What's he telling you? What's in your heart? Stand with me. What's he telling you? What's he been putting in your heart? What is it that he's been telling you to do that maybe you're not doing? What is it the little things that, because listen to me, I'm not saying that to you. I'm not trying to get you to see something because I'm trying to get you to see your sin. I'm trying to get you to see your heart. If you're not obedient, ask yourself, why? Why? Because you don't trust Him? Because you got burned? Because you were at a church and, and they talked about you and they burnt you all up and now you've been coming, you know, tipping your toes in New Covenant and you want, I wonder if they're going to burn me too. And, and what's the Lord telling you? What's in your heart? Obedience is better than sacrifice. I want you, every one of you, look at me. I want you to obey what the Lord is telling you to do. Not your flesh. Not your emotions. Not your personality. You think Moses' personality was conducive for him leading the children of Israel? 
Do you think David's personality, listen to me, do you think David's personality was to be a king? He was a shepherd. He was rough. You're going to tell me that Peter and James, who were fishermen, were qualified to be disciples of the Lord Jesus? Yeah. Why? Because they obeyed. What's he telling you? And it's got nothing to do with your personality. It's got nothing to do with your gifts. It's got nothing to do with your flesh. It's got everything to do with he says, if you'll obey me, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, I'm your father, I'm your daddy, I love you, and I'm going to take you to places that you've never been before, but you've got to take the step of obedience. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every one of us here this morning. What is it in your life? In our, let me say it this way. In our lives, we're not being obedient to. Lord, if there's anything in our heart that you've been prompting us to do that we're not doing it, reveal it to us right now. I'll be the first one. If there's anybody in here that's doing that, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. There's some things in my life that the Lord is dealing, there's a certain thing in my life that the Lord is dealing with me about, and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to do it. Why? Because I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it. But He's been moving on my heart. He's been encouraging me. He's been telling me, but I feel the sense of the Lord on me. Okay, you really got to take, now it's time to take it up to a whole nother level. What's he telling you? What's in your heart? It ain't got to be something bad. He could have been telling you to quit drinking sodas and you ain't been, you ain't been obeying. Maybe he told you to put the Pringle back and you didn't do it. I'm serious. I have left the store, got in my truck and drove to the end of the parking lot and turned around and came back and April goes, what are you doing? The Lord told me I needed to go pay for that lady's groceries and I ain't been obedient. Walk in there and pay for her groceries. And she said to me, she said, well, you better turn around then. Man, I'm telling you. What's he telling you? Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Forgive us, Lord, for the things that we are not being obedient to you in, our little things. Forgive us for not being quick to obey. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will, we make a choice, we make a decision out of our will to be obedient to what you're saying today in the name of Jesus. And in the morning, we'll do the same thing. And in the mid-morning, we'll do the same thing. And at lunch, we'll do the same thing. And every day of every one of our lives from now on, we will make sure that we obey you in everything because you desire for our obedience because it's where our heart is. Hallelujah. <laughs> the power is in the Pringles. <laughs> David said to the giant, he said, oh, I know I can get you. I know I can whip you. <laughs> Why? Because he said, because the same 
God. Not because he had practiced and because he whooped up on the lion and he whooped up on the bear and now he can whoop up on you. No, it's not that kind of progressiveness. He said, because the Lord was with me and delivered me from the hand of the lion. The Lord was with me and delivered me from the hand of the bear, from the mouth of the bear. And the Lord is with me and would deliver me from your foul mouth and hand. You uncircumcised piece of trash, I'm going to whoop your behind. Not because of me, but because of my God. You see the progressiveness that takes place? It's no when he tells you to go do something. You go, man, I was obedient with the Pringles. I know he's telling me to do this, so I'm going to do this. And then you do that. And then it leads to something else, and it leads to something else, and it leads to something else. Because the same God, God gives to those who will obey Him. To much is given, much is required. And if you'll be diligent over that which is little, He'll make you ruler over that which is much. Hallelujah. 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 Aaron, would you come and dismiss us in prayer? Thank you for being obedient. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word that Pastor has given us for us to be obedient and continue walking in the ways that you continually give us, Lord. And we thank you for just being our daddy and loving on us when we never deserved it. You gave us Jesus, Lord, and that continuing on even though we don't deserve you we don't deserve your precious gift that you continually give us and we thank you for your wisdom that you always give us and to obey your wisdom lord and to continually walk through that path lord and we thank you for all the many blessings that you continually give us lord in the name of jesus amen 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 well, listen, don't forget, Wednesday nights, if you're, uh, if you're not part of a connect group, we still have them going on. You can go online. And, uh, but other than that, we'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday. You guys be blessed.